Well, dear congregation, if you turn again, please, now to Genesis chapter 41, uh, verse 55, we can read again. Genesis 41, verse 55. <clears throat> and when all the land of Egypt was famished, the people cried to Pharaoh for bread, and Pharaoh said unto all the Egyptians, Go unto Joseph. What he saith to you, do. Well, there are many things that we, we love about the, the story of Joseph. I'm sure the, the children here too, you, you know this story. It's maybe one of your favorite stories in the Bible. It's a very interesting story. It's a very exciting story. Uh, it's a, this story has everything from a, at a human level. In this story, there is love and there is hatred. In this story, there is choice and there is rejection. There is slavery and there is royalty. There's kindness and there's cruelty. There's injustice, and there's forgiveness. There's famine, and there's food. There's humiliation, and there's exaltation. At, at a human level, this story has it all. It's not surprising that this story would be a favorite. But of course, the story of Joseph is a lot more than just a story. Uh, and if we ask, wh why, does, why does the life of Joseph get so much attention in Genesis? That there are more chapters on the life of Joseph than there is, in any, than there is for anyone else in Genesis. There is more recorded speech of Joseph than there is of anyone else in the whole Old Testament. And what becomes very clear is what, what the Lord's people love about Joseph more and more is this. It is how like the Lord Jesus Christ he is. It's how he pictures the Lord Jesus Christ. He is a type or a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, with every type, with every picture that the Bible gives us of the Lord Jesus Christ we have to remember that the picture is not perfect. The one who is pictured is. So Joseph, he is the favorite son of his father. And the Lord Jesus Christ is the eternal son of the eternal father. There is no record in Genesis of any faults or failings that Joseph had. Of course, we know Joseph is a sinner. But when you look at the one he pictures, this Lord Jesus Christ, this greater than Joseph, he is without sin. He is without fault. No one can find any fault with him. Joseph is rejected by his brothers when he comes on a mission to find them and to seek their welfare. The Lord Jesus Christ comes to his own brethren, and his own do not receive him. 
Joseph is sold for 20 pieces of silver, the price of a slave. The Lord Jesus Christ is sold for the price of a slave for 30 pieces of silver. Joseph resists a fierce and prolonged temptation to sin. And because of his resisting temptation, he goes down into the prison. The Lord Jesus Christ resists the temptation of Satan and all the, the, the temptations he faces throughout his life. And yet, at the end of his life, he is arrested and accused and condemned to death. But Joseph came out of prison. In a day, Joseph was exalted to Pharaoh's right hand and given the name Safnath Panea, Savior of the world, a name above every other name in Egypt, a name at which every knee in Egypt is to bow. And the Lord Jesus Christ is exalted and given a name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, whether they are things in heaven or things on the earth or things under the earth, and every tongue confesses Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. There are many ways in which Joseph pictures the Lord Jesus Christ. And there's another one for us here in our text at the end of Genesis 41. And it's this. Joseph provides bread to people who would otherwise perish in famine. Joseph provides bread to people who would otherwise perish in a famine. Jesus Christ is the one who comes and says, I am the bread of life. He that believeth in me shall never hunger. But what we need to see here is that in the life of Joseph, before Joseph provides bread, before he gives food to people ready to perish, he had spent many years in slavery. He had spent years in the dungeon. And in all of this, we see behind this that God was doing something. God was the one who was preparing Joseph for this. God was the one who was working all things together for good to those who love Him. God was working to bring His people out of Canaan. You step back and you realize and you see what God is doing uh, as a uh, behind the scenes, as it were, the things we don't see straight away, but yet God was working to save His people. His people were in danger. You read the chapters before this. You read chapter 35, before Joseph comes on the scene. You read chapter 38 of this chapter with Judah and Tamar, and you realize the people of, the children of Israel are being swallowed up in idolatry. Humanly speaking, the seed of the woman is in perilous danger. The seed, the, the line from which the Messiah, the Savior of the world would come, humanly speaking, is in great danger. Left to ourselves, we ruin everything. Judah ruins everything, and so do the children of Israel. So God sends a man before. God sends Joseph before to save many souls alive by a great deliverance. You cannot have Judah dying. You cannot have the seed of Judah stopping 
You cannot have Israel completely swallowed up in, in idolatry. Because it is evident, as the writer to the Hebrews says, that our Lord sprang out of Judah. And so, back to Joseph here, every, everything from, Joseph, from Joseph's childhood until now has been working together to bring it to this point where these starving people, these people ready to perish, come to Egypt and hear these simple yet profound, hope-filled, life-giving words go unto Joseph. Firstly here, we want to see a faithful prediction. Secondly, a a full storehouse. And thirdly, a forthright command. But firstly here, a faithful prediction. So children, you you know what happened. We read it in this chapter. uh, Pharaoh has this dream, and nobody can tell Pharaoh what the dream means. Now, the the Egyptians took dreams seriously. When the Egyptians had a dream, they, they realized that they thought their gods were speaking to them. Something was about to happen. The Egyptians took dreams seriously, but here, none of Pharaoh's Uh, magicians could interpret the dream. And so Pharaoh uh, suddenly is told by the butler that there's a man in the prison who can tell the interpretation of dreams. He did it to me. He did it to the baker. He is able to tell the interpretation of the dream. And this is two years later, but yet Joseph is rushed into Pharaoh's court. And in one day, he goes from the prison to the palace. And Pharaoh, uh, uh, Joseph hears Pharaoh's dream, and the, the dream uh, Joseph interprets. There are seven years of an abundance of food coming. More food than you'll know what to do with. Food, a food supply like, you, like you've not seen before. A huge amount of food is coming for seven years. But after that, there's going to be seven years of a famine like you've never seen before. It's going to be so severe that you won't even remember the seven years of plenty that has come. These seven fat cows, these seven thin cows, these seven uh, good ears of corn, these seven bad ears of corn. Pharaoh, it's, it's, a, it's God saying this is about to happen right now. When God doubles something, it means it's about to happen right now. And the seven is seven years. Seven years of great abundance, seven years of great famine. Now, Egypt was a huge uh, source of food supply for the whole Mediterranean world. This, this impacted not just Pharaoh's house or country, but the Mediterranean world, the, the known world of this time. But just to stop for a moment and think about what Joseph is doing here, Joseph is coming and he's saying seven years of plenty and then after this. And you know, it's only the Bible that can tell you that. The Bible does come and tell you what happens next. Not always in the detail that we want, but it gives us what we need to know. It tells us what happens next. It is appointed unto men once to die and after this. 
There is something after death, and the only thing that can tell you that is the Bible. The Bible comes and tells you what is happening. And Joseph here, the word, the mouthpiece of God, the word of God to Pharaoh is coming and telling Pharaoh what is happening next. Seven years of plenty, then after this, seven years of famine. Who could predict this? What, what Egyptian mag magician could possibly predict this? And yet with, with perfect accuracy, down to the days, the word of God is telling us what happens. Now, how do people react? We know how Joseph reacted. Joseph began to be, to be very busy and to build storehouses and to get the grain. But how do the people react? How would you react? If you heard the word of God coming to you or the mouthpiece of God coming and saying, firstly, a great abundance, seven years of this, then seven years of famine, how would you react? I'm quite sure there were three kinds of people there in Egypt. Firstly, there's the person who takes this word seriously and perhaps as best they're able with whatever preservation they have or are able to use, they try to save up some extra. Well, the word of God says there's seven years of famine coming in seven years' time. We're going to try to save up some food, perhaps. There could be people there, though, who were quite careless. That's always the way under the, under the preaching and the speaking of the Word of God, a careless people, a people who hear this, they might even think it might be true, but yet the food comes, the, the years of plenty come, and let, they say, let us eat, drink, and be merry. In my prosperity, I said that nothing shall me move, Psalm 30. And so they become careless, and they forget what's coming. Maybe, and quite possibly, there were people here who mocked. He's making this up. How can he possibly know what's going to happen in the next 14 years? He's making this up. Where is the promise of his coming? You would think, wouldn't you, though, if there was this devastating, devastating famine coming, that surely everyone would prepare. Don't the ants do that, children? Do you remember what the Bible says the ants do? The ants work in the summer. Why? Because they know the winter is coming. The ant knows the winter is coming. The ant works in the summer and it stores up food. It goes and it gets more food for the winter months because it knows it can't work in the winter months. And so it's wise and it gets the food in the summer for the winter. And yet here are people sinners of, uh, that the Bible comes to and says, you are going to a great eternity. Uh, after this, the judgment. A judgment that, that puts us either into everlasting glory with the people of God or everlasting destruction with the devil and his angels. That is the unmistakably clear teaching of the Word of God. There is no soul sleep. There is no annihilation. We all exist forever, either in everlasting glory or in everlasting woe. And yet, how much preparation are we giving to this great reality? How much time, how much thought? Oh, we have plans for so many things in this life. But how, how much preparation do we make for this great eternity to which we are all going quickly? Sinners left to themselves make no preparation for eternity. Well, Joseph had predicted seven years of plenty and 
Just as Joseph said, the years of plenty came in great abundance. And then, just as Joseph said, so came the years of famine. And this famine is severe. It is intense. Our King James uses the word dearth twice. It's the same word for famine that's used later. Dearth usually has the idea of the effect of a famine, uh, the, the hunger, the, the lack, the suffering that, become, that comes because of a famine. But, but here, this, this, you, 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 you hear it in verses 54 onwards, this, this word is dominating the thought, this word is dominating the attention. How can it not if we're in this situation? Famine, famine, famine. Verse 54, seven years of dearth came, and the dearth was in all the lands, and all the land of Egypt was famished. And verse 56, the famine was over all the earth, and the famine waxed sore. And verse 57 at the end, because the famine was so sore in all the lands, famine, 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 it's all suddenly people can think about or speak about everything else that occupied their attention before is now altogether secondary. Famine. Where's food coming from? Because if we don't eat, we die. And this is, this is severe. It's in all the lands, we're told, at the end of verse 57. Seven, a seven-year famine in all the lands. And this was so unusual because uh, the 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 Egyptians depended upon the Nile for their water supply, but the people over there in Palestine, they depended upon the rain. And it was incredibly unusual that both would dry up. There are different sources of water, but here is different sources of water, and in all the lands there is a famine. And and so this this is severe, and so verse 56 tells us it waxed sore. It became worse and worse and worse. It grew the famine. It prevailed the famine. It ate up all the food, the famine. And you can imagine the panic that begins to set in, first with the farmers, then with the storekeepers, then with the, the fathers and the mothers and the children. The history books tell us about, about the Egyptians resorting to cannibalism, to eating each other because there's no food When you hear this word famine, we're to hear the horror of this. We're to hear screaming babies, crying children, weeping mothers, anxious fathers, helpless fathers. We're to think of death. That's what Joseph, that's what Jacob, rather, in the next chapter says in verse 2, chapter 42, verse 2, go and buy corn in Egypt so that we will live and not die. That's, that's what's at stake here. This is life and death. If we don't get food, we die. The historians again tell us about bodies that could be lined up from Egypt to Syria because of famine, death. And my dear friends, when we consider this, we, we have to uh, consider what the Scripture so clearly tells us about what we deserve. The wages of sin is death. This is what we deserve. Now here though in, in Egypt, there is one hope. There is hope in one place and with one person. 
in the known world of this time. Only one place in the world where life can be sustained. Only one person who can help you. One hope is this, that God has sent a man before. The one hope of a perishing world is this, that Joseph reigns. That God's appointed Savior is here. A faithful prediction. Everything Joseph said, everything God said through Joseph came true down to the details. My dear friends, you can believe the Word of God down to the details. Every detail is true. How do we respond to the Word of God? How do you young people respond to the Word of God? How do you read it? How are you listening to it? How are you listening to the preaching of the Word week by week? How do you listen to it? Do you believe its promises? Do you tremble at its threatening? A faithful prediction. But secondly here, a full storehouse. Verse 54 there in the middle, it says, The dearth was in all lands, but... Don't you love that little word so often in the Scripture that comes up? Lord, who shall stand if thou, O Lord, shouldst mark iniquity, but there is forgiveness with thee. We were dead in trespasses and in sins, but God, who is rich in mercy, there is dearth in all the land. There is no hope. There is no water anymore. But, but in Egypt, there was bread. And likely here, it's, it's telling us that, that there were people who had saved a little. There's no food any, anywhere else, but there's still some food in Egypt. But it runs out, verse 55, when all the land of Egypt was famished. No bread left. No hope left except for this. No hope for anybody except for this, that there had been a great preparation that was made. Before the famine came, a great, great preparation had been made for the famine that would come. Long before this famine came, years before this famine came, a decade likely before this famine came, if not longer, God had sent Joseph. God sent a man before, Psalm 105 tells us. Joseph says, God sent me here to save many souls alive by a great deliverance. Before the famine came, before the, the children began to cry because there was no food left for them, a work had been, was being done. A great plan had been set in place before we came saying, what do we do? We're at the end of our resources. We've no wisdom. We've no skill to get food for us anymore. A great plan long before had been set in place. A manager had been appointed. Officers had been placed. Great storehouses had been built. Grain had been collected. Long before you ever heard about this coming famine, there, there was this man, this man in prison. This man had suffered long before there was... Uh, you suffered from famine. This man, Joseph, had suffered. You could say he was made perfect. He was made complete, ready for this work through sufferings. 
But now this man has been exalted to God's right hand. And before your bread ran ran out, before you were engulfed in misery, Joseph had energetically, enthusiastically, skillfully traveled this whole land and provided for this coming famine, all to bring him to this point where now when people are coming, perishing with hunger, there is a simple word, a word that says to hungry people, come, for all things are now ready. Children, you realize that when you eat your food on the table, whether it's your breakfast or your meal, that a lot of preparation has gone into that meal. Your mom has cooked the food. She has prepared the food. She's been thinking about what she's going to make maybe all day or all week. And your dad has worked to get money so we could go out and buy food. A lot of work went into the meal that comes on your table. But you think here of of Joseph and the work that he had done to bring these meals to these hungry people who were coming to Egypt. You look at verse 46 on and you see the the energy of Joseph, the the way in which he was active. He, he, He had not become lazy when he was exalted to Pharaoh's right hand. No, he had worked actively Joseph was 30 years old when he stood before Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and Joseph went out from the presence of Pharaoh. So so immediately Joseph went to work and went throughout all the land of Egypt. So you can see Joseph riding here, riding there, riding west, riding north, south, east, all, he's going all over the land of Egypt. He's working actively. And in these seven years, he doesn't let up. He keeps going these seven years. He keeps working. The seven plenteous years brought forth lots of food, uh, brought forth by handfuls. And Joseph, verse 48, gathered up all the food for seven years, which were in the land of Egypt. And he laid up the food in the cities, the food of the field, which was round about every city. And verse 49 says, Joseph gathered corn as the sand of the sea. That reminds you of Abraham. That's the promise that was given to Abraham, that your seed will be like the sand of the sea. You can't count it. That's the point. You pick up a handful of sand from the seashore, you can't count it. There are too many. The sand of the sea is something you cannot count. And here Joseph gets food, corn, as the sand of the sea. And then it says, until he left numbering, for it was without number. Now we know that the Egyptians could count. They were great record keepers. They could count great uh, sums of things. And yet here the Egyptians are not able to keep record anymore. They left counting because this supply of corn is so much. What's the difference? What's the difference between Egypt and every other country? The difference between Egypt and every every other country is that God's word is there. God's revealer of secrets is here. The Egyptians could look at Joseph and say, 
Joseph is a wonderful counselor. The Egyptians could look at Joseph and see his authority, and Pharaoh could say, the government has been put on his shoulders. And I trust then you see how how beautifully that Joseph pictures the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, the one who is the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. Long, long before your soul ever found itself in spiritual famine, long before you were ready to perish because of your sin and your foolishness, my dear friend, a great preparation was being made. Long before you ever heard of misery or deliverance or gratitude, a great preparation was being made. The God who sees the end from the beginning in eternity had begun to plan in that eternal covenant. He, he made a great appointment there. <clears throat> Pharaoh says, who can we find like Joseph? One in whom is the spirit of the gods, says Pharaoh of Joseph. But here is God the Father, looking at the perishing of sinners in this world, looking at the everlasting hell that they deserve, and saying, who can we find? Who can we find who has the wisdom? Who can we find who has the skill? Who can we find who has the Spirit of God in him? And in Psalm 89, verse 19, the Lord says, I have laid help upon one who is mighty. I have found one, he says. Like I have found my servant, David, and the greater than David. And in that psalm, it speaks at the beginning of God laying up mercy. For mercy, it says at the beginning of the psalm, shall be built up forever. And here in this eternal covenant of grace, the Lord comes and He begins to build the foundation and He sends His Son to be the great manager, as it were, the great uh, mediator of the everlasting covenant. I have found, says God in eternity, one who is equal to the task. And the Lord Jesus immediately begins to store up mercy, to build mercy, to lay its foundation, the foundation of the storehouses. Behold, I lay in Sion a foundation, a firm stone, a sure stone, a stone that that will carry the weight of salvation. And Christ begins to store up mercy, to store up pardon. In these storehouses of the covenant of grace, there is mercy and there is pardon and there is forgiveness and there is righteousness and there is adoption and there is heaven. There is mercy upon mercy being built up. And long before you realized you were lost, Christ took your nature and became man and was made perfect through sufferings. And long before you ever realized the wages of sin is death, Christ died, the just for the unjust that he might bring us to God. 
Long before you realized you had no rights before a holy God. Christ says, all power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Long before you realized you are spiritually empty, spiritually bankrupt, spiritually without anything that you, uh, and everything that you need, Christ, it is said of him, it pleased the Father that in him all fullness should dwell. Long before you realized you had no skill, you had no, had no ability to work out a plan to save your perishing soul. It was said of Christ, in him are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So that now there is bread in the gospel. So that now all lands come to Egypt to buy bread from Joseph. They heard the report in the lands. They, they heard there's bread in Egypt. There's someone there who has bread. And so they, they go and they've, they've heard this report and you have a prayer request for e- evangelism here. But how did the people know there was bread in Egypt? Somebody told them. My dear friend, how will people know that there is bread in the gospel for a perishing world? Somebody needs to tell them. There's bread in Egypt. There's a man there, the one man, the one place, the one storehouse. Joseph has the key. Joseph has the grain. Joseph has the bread. But they, they had heard that there was bread in Egypt. Somebody told them. There are people out there who need to be told there's bread in the gospel. There's bread in the gospel for a sinner like you. Why is there bread here? Why is there life here? Because God has done something. God sent a man to prepare bread so that no sinner, no sinner in this world would ever come to the gospel and find that the storehouses are empty. You will never, friend. It's impossible. As Joseph sold his bread and his corn, the storehouses in Egypt became lower and lower. We couldn't, they couldn't count the grain, but they did deplete the grain when they ate it. It became less and less. There was enough, but it became less and less. It's not the same way with Jesus Christ. When you take from his fullness, you never deplete it. When you take from the fullness of Jesus Christ, you never deplete it. There is always more with Christ from his fullness of all we received and grace upon grace. And I, you need to see too here how Christ is so much better than Joseph. He has better terms than Joseph had. Joseph took money off the people and if they had no money, he took whatever they had and if they had nothing, they became slaves to, eat, to Pharaoh and never did a, an economy boom so much as it did in this famine because of Joseph. But my dear friend, Christ's terms are so much better. Christ says, Ho, everyone that thirsteth, come ye to the waters and he that hath no money, what? Come. Buy and eat without money and without price. The gospel, the grace of the gospel in Jesus Christ is free. 
You, you can't earn it. You can't buy it. But are these not better terms? Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which satisfies not? Hearken diligently unto me and eat ye that which is good and let your soul, yes, your soul, yes, your soul, my dear friend here, your soul, let it delight itself in fatness. It's better terms and it's better bread. People were hungry again after they ate the bread that Joseph gave. But Jesus says, if you eat this bread, you never hunger again. Spiritually, you will never be famished. You cannot be. I am the bread of life. He that believeth in me shall never hunger. How great's the goodness, Psalm 31, verse 19. How great's the goodness thou for them that fear thee keeps in store. Forthright command lastly here, more briefly. Verse 55. When all the land of Egypt was famished, the people cried to Pharaoh for bread. And Pharaoh said unto all the Egyptians, Go unto Joseph what he saith unto you do. You can well imagine, can't you? The people coming in, the fathers coming in, the young boys coming in with their father perhaps to see if they can get some food. And there's a desperation here. There's an anxiety here. Their, their children are dying at home. There's no food for them. But there's bread here. And so they come into Egypt and likely many of them don't speak the language. And they hear so much noise and there's quite possibly people fighting each other. People are desperate for food. There's a lot of confusing noise here. But amidst it all, there is this clear command that has the authority of the highest court of the land behind it, the, the authority of Pharaoh. A clear command, a simple command, an unmistakably clear instruction. Go unto Joseph. Joseph has the bread. Joseph has the keys to the storehouse. Go to Joseph. He has plenty for you. He's willing to give. Maybe that's the question people would have had. Does he have enough? Is it running out his store? Is he willing to give? Would he give it to someone like me? Perhaps I'm coming from a country that has hostile relations. Will Joseph give to me? You can imagine the people of Egypt wondering, is Joseph giving too many to these other people? If you suddenly give this bread to Syrians, to Assyrians perhaps, to people from Sudan, to people from Ethiopia, then will there be enough for us? You need to be careful, Joseph. But no, Joseph opens the storehouses and he gives bread to whoever comes. And whoever comes hears the same thing. Go to Joseph. Go to Joseph. Joseph is the one you need to see. In verse 56, Joseph opened all the storehouses and sold unto the Egyptians. Well, the application is clear, my friend, is it not? Go to Jesus. Go to the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He has all the authority. He has all the bread. He has all the grace. He has the pardon. He has the mercy. He has the forgiveness. He has the blood that came because of his suffering that pardons all sin. Go unto Jesus. And you hear noise around you perhaps, perhaps noise inside of you. What will the people say? 
Can, will, will Joseph, will Jesus receive me? What will people think? If I come to the Lord Jesus Christ, and you hear lots of people saying, well, you're not ready. Come when you're older. Come when you're more hungry. There's hungrier people than you. They can get the bread first. You come back later when you've done this or that. No. Go to Joseph. Go to Jesus is the immediate cry for every sinner uh, who, who, who is coming and who is sensible of their need at all. And there's no shortage. Well, plenty of people have their advice. But you're to hear the authority, not of Pharaoh, but the authority of God himself saying, go to my beloved son. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. There's no other bread. There's no other storehouses of grace. But my dear friend, there is an abundance in Jesus Christ for a sinner like you. Why should you go to Christ this morning? Because my dear friend, if you don't, you will perish. There's no other place. There's no other person. If you don't come to Christ, you will perish. Why should you go? Because he has an abundant supply, as we said. It never depletes. There is a fullness in Christ for you. Your sins are not greater than his mercy. Your hatred for him in your past is not greater than the love that is commended in the gospel. There is an abundance in Jesus Christ for the worst of sinners. Why should you go? Because the only way to have your sins pardoned is found here. Joseph's name was Savior of the world. That's the name that Christ has. And why should you go? Because he turns nobody away. Joseph turned nobody away. Christ turns none away. He gives this warm welcome to sinners. Many things in the Bible have been recorded about Jesus. But you will never find this. That somebody came to him in their desperate need and he turned them away. All that the Father giveth me, he says, speaking of that great eternal covenant, shall come to me. And him that cometh to me, I will in no wise cast out. You're to come to him because God commands you to go. Go unto Joseph. Whatever people did with that command in Egypt, when it comes from God the Father, it is not coming as an option. It's not coming as a suggestion. It's coming with the authority of heaven. Go unto Jesus. This, 1 John 3.23 says, this is his commandment that you believe in his Son. His mother in John 2.5 said to the servants, whatever he saith unto you, do it. That's what they said about Joseph. Go to Joseph. Whatever he says, do it. That's what they're saying here of Christ. And what Christ is saying to you this morning is this. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest.
Amen. May the Lord bless his word. Let us pray. O Lord God, we thank thee so much for the eternal covenant that thou hast made. That mercy before we were born was being built up. That thou hast loved thy people with an everlasting love before the mountains were formed, whatever the earth was. Thou art saying, my delights were with the sons of men. The poor, perishing, sinful sons of men that thou hast loved with an everlasting love. Oh, we pray, O Lord, that we would indeed hear thy word this morning and go unto Jesus, the greater than Joseph, the one who says, I am the bread of life. He that believeth in me shall never hunger, and he that believeth in me shall never thirst. We pray this all for Jesus' sake. Amen.